and I called the media in and I said, we could lose this election. And the media fell about laughing. He had three speeches, one where we didn't make any inroads into the Premier's majority, another one where we got some gains, we put him on notice, that sort of crap. And then a third one where we would win. And he had a blank page which just said... It was one of the biggest upsets in Australian political history. On one side was the outspoken Liberal Premier Jeff Kennett. His fresh-faced opponent was Steve Brax, who had only been anointed Labor leader earlier that year. Now, for the first time, Brax and Kennett have faced off in person to discuss the election that changed Victoria forever. Featuring interviews with key players from the Labor and Liberal teams, Face Off is a must-listen for anyone interested in Victorian history. Available on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. A more intelligent crook might have gone interstate to withdraw money to sustain the illusion that Meffitt, the missing man, was still out there somewhere, wandering the countryside. But that didn't happen because intelligence was not the hallmark of the crime. In fact, evidence was led in one court proceedings that the accused man had been known to pull the skull out of a box as a bit of a show and tell to impress his mates. I'm Andrew Rule. This is another edition of Life and Crimes. Today I want to talk about Adelaide and South Australia in general and crimes in that state. If Adelaide was a person instead of a city, it could sue for all the terrible things that are said about it, except for one thing. Truth is a defence. Back in the 1980s, Selman Rushdie, the uh, famous author, was a guest of honour at the first ever Adelaide Writers' Festival. And he got up and spoke to the assembled masses and he said something like this. Adelaide was the perfect setting for a Stephen King novel or a horror film. Adelaide, he said, is Amityville or Salem. The things here go bump in the night. Now, Selman Rushdie has his critics, a lot of them very well armed. But events in South Australia, since he spoke back in the 1980s, have proved his point about a pattern of crime that started over there in the 1960s. Already at that point, there'd been the abduction and presumed murder of Jane, Anna and Grant Beaumont, the Beaumont children, at Glenelg Beach on Australia Day in 1966. There was the abduction and disappearance and presumed murder of two girls, Kirsty Gordon and Joanne Ratcliffe, who vanished from a footy game at the Adelaide Oval in August 1973. And then there was the family, the so-called family sex killings. Not the family in Victoria, this is another group of far more sinister crimes in South Australia, also dubbed the family in the 1980s. Only one man, Bevan Spencer von Einem, was ever arrested or convicted. But there have always been rumours of a depraved circle of deviates in high places who picked up teenagers and young men and sexually abused them and then killed them, often in bizarre and grotesque ways. And then, of course, there was the Truro horror story, which concerns the abduction and murder of seven mostly teenage girls in two months over the summer of 1976-1977. It's now 40 years since one of the two men responsible for those murders, a guy called James Miller, was arrested and interviewed 
during which time he implicated his psychopathic accomplice, Christopher Worrell, who'd actually been killed in a car crash a year or two before, back in 1977. And had Worrell, who was young and handsome and narcissistic, if he hadn't been killed in that car crash in 1977, experts suggest that he would have gone on to be one of Australia's worst ever serial killers because he had all the hallmarks of someone who wouldn't stop until something stopped them. The remains of five of the seven girls abducted by Miller and Worrell were found near Truro, which is northeast of Adelaide. But it's a district even further north in what South Australians call the Mid-North that is of interest today because that's the district up there in the Badlands where the rain doesn't fall and where uh, houses are very cheap. It's out there that some very bad things have happened. It's out there that we have Snowtown, where bodies were hidden in barrels in an old, empty, abandoned bank building. It's out there at another tiny district that police dug in two old wells looking for the remains of the little girls, Kirsty Gordon and Joanne Ratcliffe. They didn't find them but the search goes on. And it's out there at a spot on the map called Tarauri that police finally arrested a 30-year-old man for the bizarre murder and dismemberment of one of his own relatives in a crime that in many ways is similar to Snowtown and to the more recent case of the little girl whose body was found in a suitcase not far away at a place called Wanaka. We'll call it the Tarauri skull case, the skull in the chimney case. It's the latest in a long line of South Australian horror stories. Tarauri isn't much. It's a place that a traveller would rather not stop on the road to nowhere much. It's really just a few houses between a pair of shot-up road signs out in the worst part of the wheat belt a couple of hours north of Adelaide. But it surely is up there with Snowtown as the spookiest place in rural Australia. We're talking about the Mid-North, the country beyond what they call Goiter's Line in South Australia, where the rainfall is below 12 inches a year in the old measure and so unreliable that the early settlers who went there in the 1870s retreated within a few years because the rain stopped falling. These days, Tarauri is the perfect place for a gothic horror crime or to shoot a film about one. It's run-down cottages of stone and brick and corrugated iron were built in a burst of optimism back in the 1800s after a couple of unusually wet years. The early settlers soon moved on, but the buildings that they built were left behind and they're still standing. And they now attract a few people who can't resist the lure of ultra-cheap prices and tiny rentals. And so it is that if you walk down the street in Tarawi, 
and there aren't many streets to choose from, you'll see boarded up house after boarded up house and uh, one of them has a sign painted on the door, Boof was poisoned by 1080 bait, 2005. And that's a message that whoever lived there had their dog poisoned by one of their neighbours or probably by a local farmer who uh, poisons vermin like foxes and rabbits and sheep-killing dogs. So Boof was almost certainly a dog. 1080 is the poison used by farmers throughout Australia. As for 2005, that seems to have been a very bad year in Terraree because it was the year that a local bloke called Martin Meffert went missing. No one except whoever killed him can say for sure when he went missing. All we know is that the last time Martin Meffert was seen for certain was waiting at a bus stop in the Adelaide suburbs in February 2005 on his way home to Tarawi. After that, who knows what happened? Possibly only one or two people. And those few who did know didn't talk about it for a long time. But of course, there were always hints that the truth about Martin's fate was more sinister than the vague suggestions he drifted into state after that last known sighting of him at the bus stop. Finally, in 2013, police pulled a skull from its hiding place in a chimney in the house owned by the missing man's relative. That fact tended to cast suspicion on those who'd hung around with Martin Meffert eight years earlier. This was a motley crew that included relatives, neighbours and other associates. Oddly enough, despite the fact the police recovered the skull of Martin Meffert, the rest of his skeleton would stay missing for another six years until the police got fresh information that the lonely bones were actually close by. It's just August 2019 that the bones of Martin Meffert were finally dug up very close to the house with the chimney in which his skull was found. Clearly, the South Australian police don't like rushing into things. They announced in 2017 that someone had been drawing cash from Martin Meffert's bank account, draining it as it was refilled by Centrelink welfare payments. Apparently, Martin Meffert was an invalid pensioner and his pension was paid directly by the uh, welfare agency straight into a bank account. And that was very useful for the people who had his cards and his ID because they, they were able to just siphon money straight back out of the account. And interestingly, the, this cash was never drawn interstate or away from the uh, rural districts surrounding Tarawi. One favourite withdrawal spot was a BP service station on a local road not far away. And there were ATMs at two other towns within easy driving range of Tarawi. This suggested to the vigilant Adelaide detectives that whoever had stashed the skull in the chimney was probably milking the pension money close to home. So when the police finally got around to arresting a 30-year-old Tarawi man 
last year, that is 2018, and charged him with murdering his relative 14 years before. The accused man's name was suppressed because he'd only been 16 at the time of his alleged grotesque crime. A court will eventually decide the accused man's guilt or innocence, but it's clear that the case shares a lot with the notorious Snowtown murders and the Wanaka baby in the suitcase case, which of course is when the body of a toddler was found in an abandoned suitcase tossed out beside a highway at the little hamlet of Wanaka, a bit closer to the Victorian border. In the baby in the suitcase crime, it seems that the toddler, Candelise Stevenson, was killed separately and a little after her mother, her young mother, Carly Pierce Stevenson, who was last seen in 2008. It was only after police managed to link the child's remains found in the suitcase at Wanaka with some bones that had been found in the Belanglo Forest in New South Wales that they could eventually arrest one Daniel James Holdham, who is now serving time for the murders. It seems that Holdham and others had the same idea as the Snowtown killers and as the Tarauri killer allegedly did, and that is to siphon the welfare payments of their victims. In fact, Holdham stole some $90,000 in benefits from poor Carly's bank accounts over seven years until his arrest in 2015. In the Martin Meffitt case, whoever had hold of his uh, ID and his bank card drew more than $136,000 in disability pension money, which of course was paid automatically into his bank account over the eight years after his death. This gives us some insight into why governments are concerned at the leakage of tens of millions of dollars in welfare payments to people who are cheating the system. Of course, not all of them are murdering for it, but many of them know how to beat the system. Of course, today we're talking about terrible murders abductions, grotesque things such as the decapitation of one man, the abduction and killing of a mother and child. We're talking about series of murders at Snowtown and so on. But there's another aspect to this and that is that the system of welfare payments is so porous and so badly supervised that bad people can rot the system for years for seven years, for eight years, for probably a decade or more, without being caught. And in the end, they would never have been caught had they not been investigated for very serious crimes, such as murder. And this raises another story for another day, and that is how many hundreds or thousands of unscrupulous people have created false IDs without murdering anyone, in order to siphon money from the system. It's food for thought. Of course, in the Martin Meffitt case, a more intelligent crook 
might have gone interstate to withdraw money to sustain the illusion that Meffitt, the missing man, was still out there somewhere, wandering the countryside. But that didn't happen because intelligence was not the hallmark of the crime. In fact, evidence was led in one court proceedings that the accused man had been known to pull the skull out of a box as a bit of a show-and-tell to impress his mates. He also boasted at other times of having access to bank accounts. Of course, he was no rocket scientist. Speaking of rocket scientists, you don't have to be one to realise that there's a direct link in a lot of these cases between the uh, extremely low prices of real estate in some areas and the sort of people who end up living there. And that predisposes those places to all sorts of crime. It predisposes them to people who want to set up quietly so they can grow cannabis crops or so they can set up clandestine labs to make speed and other illicit drugs. There'll always be people looking for a quiet, low-rent, out-of-the-way spot where they can get away with murder or something very much like it. One Victorian contact of ours who moved to the mid-north of South Australia a few months ago recently told me that he's delighted with the solid stone house he bought for $60,000 on a big, big block that's got its own orchard, its own cellar and its own extensive shedding. But he is very careful about some of his neighbours. He told me that in the local pub one night he looked up to see a man pointing a gun at the ceiling because he was showing another drinker how to use it. He said, I just looked away and shuffled down the bar a bit further in case the gun went off. And he said to me, it's the Wild West out there. It's all sheep and lonely blokes. It's the edge of darkness. Cop that, Selman. Read my column in the Sunday Herald Sun and online at heraldsun.com.au. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt, and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free, and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth, and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.